Hey everyone, Josh Wiggler here, host of Series Regular, with a quick warning about what you are about to listen to. If you have not yet watched the final season premiere of HBO's Game of Thrones, do that before listening to this podcast. This podcast is going to discuss that first episode of the final season in great detail. Once you've watched, please return and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's deep dive podcast into genre television. I'm Josh Wiggler, your host here on Series Regular, and for the next several weeks, we're all in on one thing and one thing only, Game of Thrones. Consider this your weekly window into the world of Westeros as we thoroughly explore each episode of the Emmy-winning epic's final season. And in that spirit, we can now thoroughly explore the first episode of the Emmy-winning epic's final season, the season eight premiere is officially out in the universe, and I am so excited to get to talk about it with THR's chief TV critic, Dan Feinberg. Dan, how are you, my friend? I am doing well, Josh, and I am looking forward to having some spoilerific conversation about the Game of Thrones premiere. It's been tough to sit on this without anyone to talk to. I've just been alone in my cave, scrawling uh, barely legible Game of Thrones rantings on a wall that I would then transpose into into article form for THR.com. But other than that, I've just been on my own with all of this, and I'm thrilled to finally be able to, to speak to someone because we were both at the New York City premiere. We both saw this episode, and now the world has seen this episode as well. And you have been remarkably prolific. I, I feel as if I have... <laughs> written very little about Game of Thrones. My review is probably up on THR as we speak. Uh, but yes, you've been so. writing, what, like 17 articles a day for THR? Yeah, something in the vicinity of that. I think that's a pretty close uh, approximation. Vaguely insane, but you do terrific work, Josh. I appreciate it, Dan. All right, so we're going to drill into this episode in specific detail now that we can. Uh, as we've mentioned, Dan and I both saw the episode at the world premiere in New York earlier in April. I've been dying to talk to anyone about how the first episode played out. So today we're going to do exactly that. We're going to talk through the final season premiere, not in scene by scene detail, but our broad strokes reactions to the episode and how it seems to be setting up the remaining story, scenes that were standouts and more. So first of all, Dan, before we get into it, I would just love to get your first impressions. What was your reaction to the final season premiere? My reaction to the to the premiere was that it's the kind of thing where if you're sort of a, a destination oriented viewer and you're the kind of viewer who's like, seriously, dudes, there are zombies coming. Stop standing around and talking. It was a very kind of talky, putting the pieces back in order on the chessboard kind of premiere. But it happens that my pleasure in the show at this point comes largely from watching character interactions. And so I was completely satisfied on that level, even if I understood really there are important issues and there are only six episodes in which to deal with them. So maybe this was a little bit thumb twiddling. Uh, what, what, what was your overall thought? Yeah, I think that there was there was almost no way that this first episode wasn't going to be something of a table setter. I think that given everything that's at stake, given the fact that there are so many characters who just have not met yet or characters who haven't seen each other in so long, you're going to need to take care of a lot of business with reintroducing characters to each other, introducing characters to each other for the first time. And that's going to naturally lend itself to a fairly talky episode, which is, you know, often anyway, how a lot of the season premieres of Game of Thrones 
tones play out. But I think the newness of the conversations for me, that always felt to me like this was going to be an exciting episode. I, th- I think the things that I love about Game of Thrones so much are very much of that variety, very dialogue driven, seeing disparate people come together. Much more about that than taking on the Night King, though I'm here for that as well. But I think that really making sure that all the pieces are in play so that the, the rest of the five episodes can kind of catch up and play ball with knowing who these people are and what they mean to each other and really starting to to take form in terms of these new relationships that are going to drive the rest of the the action i think was was pretty critical do you, do you think that the majority of people are going to be happy with this premiere do you think that the majority of people are going to find this slow like as best as you can try and take the pulse on that (laughs) and the thing i love is that i was about to ask you the exact same question so uh (laughs) yeah we'll see what the answer ends up being i i I mean my my feeling has always been that i've liked watching the characters and then i'm always kind of surprised when people on twitter and whatnot come across as more disappointed by things when that's the direction in which they go and you see kind of the lists of everybody's favorite episodes uh and you know the whole world has published their top 10 game of thrones episodes list in the past couple weeks and there there really is an overwhelming balance towards or imbalance towards the action episodes the you know the the penultimate episodes of each season which have been kind of crazy and and high stakes and all of that and i i feel as if there definitely is a portion of the fan base that requires that degree of adrenaline and probably didn't get it from this premiere so my hunch is a pretty solid split that some people are going to be like look we don't have we don't have the time for this you know it's something i led my review with bran interrupting everybody talking in the courtroom saying we don't have time for this and i feel like there are going to be a lot of fans who agree with that assessment what do you think yeah, I, I agree, although for, for my money, and I don't I don't know what it, it says about me. I'm a sick person, I think. But the, the moment that I saw that there was this brand new title sequence, uh, <laughs> I was instantly so excited, <laughs> which I think says a lot more about me as a Game of Thrones nerd than anything else. But to, but to know that the story is collapsing so much in on itself that the sprawling sequence of seeing everywhere in the, in the world of, of Westeros and beyond and all these different cities we're not doing that anymore we're really drilling down very very granularly into winterfell into king's landing and my 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 theory brain is already firing on all cylinders wondering how much attention should we be paying to the to the nitty-gritty corners and nooks and crannies of winterfell as we're getting to see them in that opening (laughs) sequence knowing that the battle of winterfell is coming up some episodes from now it's just i i was already lit and the the show hadn't even started so I, I have to imagine that there is a contingent of Game of Thrones fans uh, who, who really love this material that were feeling the same way. And and I have to feel that way, because if not, then I feel like it says a lot about me as a person and I'm not ready to look into the mirror that deeply. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, definitely in the the group of people that HBO sat me with at the premiere it was largely reporters, but not exclusively. And there were definitely pockets of that group who, when the opening credits started going inside buildings and underground, th- those people, you could hear them go, ooh, new credits, not just the big map. You know, So you're not alone, would be my guess. On the other hand, I don't know that 
every viewer is going to be like that. I, I feel like probably there, there are probably really, really bad Game of Thrones viewers who fast forward through the credits. I don't even want to know who those people are, frankly. I agree. All right. Well, we talked a little bit about the fact that this is an episode filled with uh, with people coming together for the first time or for the first time in a long time. This premiere episode, it, it has this full circle quality about it. It connects back to the very first episode of the series, Winter is Coming. And all the way back in 2011, the Game of Thrones pilot centered on Robert Baratheon and his royal procession arriving at Winterfell. Eight years later, a new Iron Throne contender arrives in the north, Daenerys Targaryen. The result, new character pairings, reunions between loved ones and enemies alike, and lots of tension. Did any of these table-setting scenes and character collisions particularly stand out to you, Dan? I've discovered in recent seasons that, uh, and I don't think this was the case at the beginning, that Arya is my favorite character on the show and that Maisie Williams is my favorite actor on the show. And I don't know, I don't have a clue what her career is going to be like after this. I don't know that I see big movie stardom or anything for her, but she is, she is so good at conveying so much in just a look. And so I just love that opening uh, procession where one character after another is coming towards Winterfell and you just get to see Arya react to each of them. And it's kind of like a, a previously on uh, segment because you're sitting there going, oh, right, that's when that character last saw Arya or, oh, right, Arya wanted to kill that character or something like that. So all of those reactions, whether it's just the little smiles or whether you see sort of the tightening around her eyes as she starts glaring at people, I, I loved that opening scene with her reacting to things. I could have watched 45 minutes of that, I think. So so that would be that would be the top of my list. What's the top of your list in terms of interactions? I do think Arya Stark seeing dragons for the first time was pretty spectacular. And, and, I, and I loved the way that that kind of contrasted very quickly with the way that Sophie Turner as Sansa is reacting to the grandeur of the arrival of Daenerys Targaryen in Winterfell. You know, Sansa is a hard person to impress these days, and I don't think she was particularly impressed by all of that. So I, I enjoyed that sort of dichotomy within, um, within the Stark sisters in particular. I think the one that excited me the most was you know there, there's lots of little ones that that are that are really great you know Arya reuniting with Gendry or seeing the Hound again for the first time in a very long time the last they saw each other it was you know very violent and it was <laughs> it was grim circumstances but I I really loved the ending of this episode they ended it in a way where I really I I want to go right into episode two I wish that we could be binging it with Jamie showing up in Winterfell and across the way as he you know is very much a stranger in a strange land really the least welcome person in the room and the very first person he sees and recognizes is the kid he pushed out a window at the end of the very first episode of all of game of thrones with brand so i'm really excited to see what that is setting up how we're going to follow that down that really is in so many ways that was the first you know before ned stark lost his head before there was a red wedding brand being uh you know this this small child who loves nothing more or, but climbing, you know, the towers of Winterfell, getting pushed from a tower by this incestuous monster is really the first big whammy of Game of Thrones. And to, to end in that kind of full circle way in this first episode of the final season, I thought was was a very exciting choice. I, I thought that was wonderful. I, I, you know, speaking of sort of the, a lot of the, you know, basically the way a lot of characters 
stop seeing each other in Game of Thrones is something horrible happens and they have to go different directions. So having Sansa and Tyrion reunite and kind of remembering the exact circumstances around their last interactions and how it was all at Joffrey's wedding and how just how awful that was, that was a wonderful scene for me as well. And, you know, Peter Dinklage is always wonderful and Sophie Turner is has proven as the seasons have gone along just how good she is. But, it, the, you know, it's so many things like that how about new interactions between characters was it was it everything you hoped it would be to have people interacting with daenerys who had never experienced her before yeah i thought that was great and and i really liked the scene between her and john bradley as sam i i was wondering quite a bit about how sam was going to react to the news that his his father and his you know his father who he really did not care for at all but his brother who he liked quite a bit that they were both roasted alive by daenerys and i, and I loved how that kind of fueled him into the next scene with him finally getting that moment with Jon snow which we'll definitely talk about in greater detail i enjoyed that quite a bit i'm not so sure that I'm excited about Sansa and Daenerys being at each other's throats if that's the direction we're going in. I think I that's where I start to find myself in the camp that you described earlier of like kind of looking at the watch and being like, okay, we're we're running out of time. There is not a lot of Game of Thrones left. So I think if we're really bearing down into that as a subplot for the final season, it's going to be it's going to feel a little similar to me as what we got in the penultimate season with with Arya and Sansa and them not getting along and that feeling like a, a really maligned storyline, I think pretty easily for me, one of the worst in recent Game of Thrones memory. If we start really getting into that same territory with Sansa and Daenerys, I think I'm I'm going to start rolling my eyes a little bit. Yeah, powerful women bickering is is such a a fairly boring trope and it doesn't go anywhere interesting as opposed to, as you mentioned, the the Sam Danny scene worked for me because the easy reaction in that scene is Daenerys reveals to him what she did and and Sam hears and you know he has a brief moment of horror but then goes yeah I didn't really like my father anyway well done hoorah I'm now totally team Danny whatever and the fact that at least for one episode he didn't let it slide and that he actually you know had conflicted responses I appreciated that they were able to take the time for that conflicted response rather than just skipping to reconciliation, which they certainly could have done. Yeah. And then really quickly before we move on, it wasn't the, the first time these characters had met, but it was the first time in a few episodes at least. And I just have to say, tip of the hat to, to Game of Thrones for a really yada yadaing the whole Theon has to rescue his sister storyline and just getting that done immediately. I really appreciated that. If we had a season long storyline of Theon on some epic quest to save Yara Greyjoy, I was not here for that. So to have that handled in truly two scenes was a spectacular choice that I appreciate so much. Well, every bit that they would have dragged it out would have marginalized her, and I don't think they want to marginalize her as a character. And it also would have taken away from the fact that he clearly has a bigger journey that he has to go through than just getting his sister. So they, I appreciated that they got that out of the way quick. And then I think we're about to talk about the other thing that I appreciate they got out of the way quick. 
Yeah, let's get into that. So it's not the final moment of the episode, but it's easily one of the most anticipated moments in Game of Thrones lore. And that is Jon Snow learning that he is not the son of Eddard Stark after all, as he has believed his entire life. He's actually the son of Lyanna Stark and Rhaegar Targaryen, which means he is the heir to the Iron Throne. And this was one of the most hotly debated theories in the Thrones fandom for years and years. And the show has slowly revealed the answer over the course of the past few seasons. We first got a tip of the answer in the season season six finale when John was revealed to us the audience as Liana's son then in season seven's finale Bran and Sam put two and two together about John's backstory and now here we are in the final season premiere the news finally reaching Jon Snow's ears now he knows the truth did you have a strong reaction one way or the other Dan to how all of that played out I had a strong reaction to the fact that they didn't draw it out and that is yeah. that was my strongest reaction is they really and truly could have gone five or six episodes and maybe had it revealed in episode four or five and i wholly expected that this was something that was going to get dragged out forever now of course we haven't gotten to john confronting danny about it and that could take another three or four episodes but i appreciated that they they got down to business i appreciated that his immediate reaction wasn't just to go and throw up you know, as uh, over over the incest, <laughs> which would have been under, understandable. <laughs> I, and I and I kind of wondered if that was going to be something that was not necessarily the throwing up, but if they were going to address that immediately and directly. No, I I I liked that they got it at least partially out of the way because otherwise it was just going to be treating John as stupid throughout, and that didn't really seem to serve any purpose. So no, I'm very glad. It, it kind of amuses me walking from the premiere to the premiere event afterwards, I walked by no fewer than four people having conversations where they're still trying to sketch out the family tree and explain to people how those characters are related to each other and how this puts John in the position he's in. So while it has been a fan theory forever, that's been a fan theory among a very particular group of fans. And there's also another group of fans who are still damn confused by the whole thing, I would say. <laughs> What are what are the odds that in this final season at some point, either in the next episode or a few after that, we will have characters on screen really trying to sketch that out exactly what that looks like? So wait a minute. Does this mean your girlfriend is your aunt or is she your cousin? I'm not quite sure that I'm following along. And also in a world in which Cersei is about to have yet another one of her brother's children. Uh, is yes. That, is it really <laughs> taboo to a degree that it's actually truly problematic or can we really kind of brush it off and go eh, these these things kind of happen whatever <laughs> um there's historical precedent within the targaryen family anyway so exactly it's it, no big deal no one should stress out uh i'm trying to think of who the character would be who would allow them that kind of sketching because the show is so full of characters who who like to believe they're so smart and would be able to figure it out who is the character who would actually require a roadmap to be drawn that would be my question. Yeah. Maybe Davos Seaworth is, is somebody who comes to mind for me because <laughs> you could imagine you could imagine everybody kind of getting together in the same room to kind of just get on the same page about this big reveal. And Varys knows his family history. He served the Mad King once before. He presumably knew Rhaegar Targaryen. Tyrion's an intelligent guy. He reads history. He's a big history buff in Westeros. Davos is, you know, I say he's meat and potatoes, but he's onions, right? You know, he is he is 
very his very salt of the earth. And I feel like Davos, who had that really funny line in season seven when Jon Snow and Daenerys meet for the first time, and Missandei gives the big rollout of Daenerys's titles, and Davos just responds by, "This is Jon Snow." He's king in the north. You know, I feel like he might be somebody who needs to be walked through exactly what's going on here. So he would be the person that I could imagine. I think Davos and Braun are the two characters whose reactions would be the most profane to the whole thing. And that would make their reactions the most entertaining to the whole thing. So that would be what I would want. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, though, that I'm, I'm glad that it wasn't drawn out. I, I was actually concerned that we may have found ourselves in a scenario where John himself never found out that, you know, it could have been the thing where Sam and Bran see that John and Daenerys come back to Winterfell and they're very clearly a romantic couple at that point, And maybe they don't want to shake things up or there's some other reason why they can't get the news to John. And I would have been concerned about the storytelling pace of that decision. So to just get that done, uh, to at least have John know, and then we can kind of see him internally debate how he's going to tell uh, Daenerys and how this is going to come out, I think is a I think is a good choice. Well, it's kind of one of the the recurring themes of the show is basically people telling Jon Snow he's an idiot. And, I, you know, whether it's the woman he loved when it was agreed or what or uh, Lyanna Mormont here, I, I, I really appreciated how many people told Jon Snow that what he did and what he has done was kind of a betrayal of the of what they entrusted him with. I like that the show both appreciates the character and his kind of moral underpinnings, but also appreciates that he, like his not father, but, you know, his his raised father, is too yeah. often caught up in his sense of nobility and often does really stupid things that a more sensible person would not. And the show doesn't mind telling him that, and I appreciate that. All right, let's let's move on from from Winterfell for a little bit, because most of the episode takes place in Winterfell. But there are a couple of exceptions, including a lengthy side trip to King's Landing, which is the site of the Iron Throne. Cersei Lannister, she remains large and in charge at the heart of Westeros, but few people expect it's going to stay that way. Uh, Dan, did the season premiere move you one way or the other in terms of who might wind up on the Iron Throne at the end? And maybe just as importantly to you, how much does that question matter in terms of your enjoyment of the final season? I think it will I think it will matter in exactly the one moment where they decide that they want to tell us who's going to be there. And if it plays right, I'll go, okay, they at least did it in a way that played right. And if it plays wrong, I'll raise my eyebrow in confusion. But in terms of kind of the build up to it and whether or not, you know, thankfully, I have not needed to write a who are the 10 people most likely to sit on the Iron Throne story. But I know plenty uh, of surprisingly, very, very smart, neither have I, <laughs> which which is great. You've done you've done plenty of other wonderful content that kind of circles that without actually yes. needing to do it. Um, Absolutely. But so I'm glad I haven't had to do that because I, I, I really don't care. Like I I understand on on kind of a a sensibility level, the characters who make more and less thematic sense to sit on the throne and who kind of wields power in the way that would put them there. And so I know, for example, that it makes no sense for Varys to end up on the Iron Throne. That's, that's not who he is. It would be like electing Karl Rove president. So if that ends up being what it is, I would raise my eyebrow, but for the most part, no, that's, that's not a thing that bothers me. And at least in the short term, I like watching, I like watching Cersei sitting on the throne, sneering at people and raising her eyebrows. That, that to me is enough. 
<laughs> so let's let's look at the context of the episode and match that to some of the people that I think are are the obvious contenders for the Iron Throne. And let's start with Cersei. She's in the Iron Throne. Is there any chance that the show is going to end with her still on the Iron Throne using this episode as fuel for your answer one way or the other? <laughs> I think that would be a bore, honestly. I, I think that would... Yeah. She she's spent so much time being there and sometimes literally sitting on it, but sometimes not. Uh, I, I don't think that would be exciting. It would be a little bit like a college football season that starts with Alabama as your preseason number one and ends with Alabama as your postseason number one. Anyway, it's it's like, okay, we, we just went through an awful lot of work to get to the place where we were when we started. So I would hope Cersei will not be on the Iron Throne, not because I don't like booing for the character and i think lena Headey is great but i would say no you uh yeah i think uh, unless unless they you know david benioff and dan weiss really want to tell a scathing indictment story of mankind i i don't think that cersei lannister stays on the iron throne i don't think that's the story they're trying to tell i think that the you know the likeliest candidates at least the you know sort of the out in the front of the race candidates are Jon Snow and Daenerys. Jon Snow, really because of birth, not because of desire. I don't think that he's somebody that would want this burden, and I liked the way that that played out here when he learned that he is Rhaegar Targaryen's son, that his you know primary concern is, this is Daenerys's thing. This isn't my thing. I wonder for you if you feel if you felt like the revelation and the way that it played on John. Did you interpret it in a way where he was he was concerned about how this would impact Daenerys principally? Did you did you read it in a way where it's it's starting to dawn on him that oh actually I might be a contender for this thing? Do you feel like there's any shot of John being the guy at the end? Well, I think John is aware that he's a person who keeps being put in positions of authority that at least in terms of basic qualifications he doesn't have you know he wasn't really he wasn't really qualified to be in charge of the night's watch he wasn't really qualified to be the king of the north he wouldn't well now he would be qualified by birth to be the king of westeros but what i can imagine i can imagine John ending up on the throne with 20 minutes to go in the finale and then uh, proposing open democratic elections yeah. and, and then melting down the Iron Throne and walking away. That That is the context in which I can imagine him ending up in charge insofar as the second he got was put in charge, he would say, no, thanks, I think. Yeah, that's that's the that's the best King Snow theory I've heard. I, I would be I would be OK with that. How about Daenerys? Because there's there's a lot of open questioning of Daenerys's leadership style in this episode with Sam, you know, who's typically the most level headed person in the room, you know, often the, the voice of, of reason on this show being the one who's coming to John and saying the way she runs her business is really scary and probably not as good as the way that you would run this business. Um, do you feel like the like the the premiere did anything for you in terms of kind of scaling back the odds for Daenerys, who for so much of Game of Thrones has been viewed by a, a large swath of the audience at the very least as the likeliest contender to end the series on the Iron Throne? To me, she can only end the, on the Iron Throne if the show is aware that it's not good. And if the show is aware that basically when you give Daenerys too much power, she's like everyone else, she's a questionable ruler. She sometimes is vengeful in ways that perhaps she could stand to be forgiving. She sometimes is autocratic in ways that she could stand to perhaps listen a little bit better. I think if the show 
recognizes that on one level, it makes sense for her to be on the throne. She has dragons. It's tough to argue with that. But if the show also is able to say, okay, but her tendencies maybe aren't the best tendencies and we think this is something we want, but maybe we don't. That would be how I would view it. Like, I don't think it can end with her on the Iron Throne as pure and uncluttered and triumphant. If it does that, I think I would be ticked off. How about you? I like honestly kind of transposing your idea for Jon Snow onto Daenerys. You know, there's there's the great line from Daenerys back in season five, I, I believe, where she's it's one of her very first conversations with Tyrion Lannister and it's her, her big speech about how I don't want to, you know, reshape the wheel. I want to break the wheel. You know, she wants to completely shatter the, the Westeros status quo and shattering the Westeros status quo would mean an end to dynasties, you know, not, not having some return to glory for house Targaryen, but actually doing something for the people actually doing something that is, that is fairer for the realm and having the realm have a voice in who's going to lead them so I, I like that for Daenerys but I I'm very I'm very curious to to chart the journey of people's reactions to Daenerys Targaryen and her reactions to those reactions along <laughs> the way because there's there have been a lot of moments since she's come to Westeros where she's really stuck in her old ways and really feeling like this is her destiny and she's driving toward it full force and nothing should stop her and this is what she was meant for and as long as her storyline sort of stays in that space of her rejecting advice from people who we as the audience know to either be reasonable or reasonable enough. Uh, I think that that's going to have uh, that's going to send up red flags for me uh, when it comes to Daenerys's shot. I, I think ultimately what I'm rooting for is either the somebody sits on the Iron Throne with 15 minutes to go and says this is a really stupid way to have power and and no yeah. one ends up sitting there or that it ends up being Arya, but with someone else's face. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, are there any uh, wild card picks for you based on this episode? A lot of screen time for Arya Stark. Maybe maybe uh, maybe you're onto something. I think Arya with someone else's face sitting on the on the Iron Throne would make me happy. But that could just be because I like Arya. Who you I got is your, who you got is your dark horse. <laughs> I have been saying I don't know how how dark of a dark horse it is because I I think the theory is out there that I could imagine a scenario where where Gendry is on the Iron Throne by the end you know we begin the series with a Baratheon on the Iron Throne he's the last Baratheon standing which is not a successor show that is in the works at HBO as far as I know I think for for him to to kind of be able to correct his father's mistakes whether that's through you know marriage to Daenerys and the two of them are ruling and it's some sort of commentary on if the Targaryens and the Baratheons can heal their rifts then why can't we all uh, is something that I that's a direction I could see the show going in but to be completely honest I officially can't stop thinking about Arya wearing somebody's face and being in charge <laughs> of Westeros I, I, I've had never thought about it and now I really really like it and I hope that you're right Excellent. I, I will. I will definitely hold on to that as my official prediction going forward. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I think it's good. All right. So that's a lot of specifics from the episode. I'd love to kind of just talk a little more broadly about 
what's next you know with the premiere officially ended we're down from 432 minutes of game of thrones remaining to 378 minutes left there's only 378 minutes of game of thrones left there are only five episodes to go dan how are you feeling about david benioff and dan weiss's ability to wrap all of this up in a satisfying way given the way the premiere played out and also what am i going to do with myself once game of thrones ends do you have any suggestions Okay, well, first of all, the answer to the second question is Survivor's never going to end, so you're okay. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I hope. Please, from your lips to the Survivor God's ears. I, I, do not, I do not think there is any concern that you are suddenly going to be franchiseless. So okay, that, that is at least my reassurance to you. And I'm sure you can also dedicate plenty of time to trying to make sense of Westworld. Yes, this is good for my anxiety. I just need somebody to to talk some sense into me. I appreciate it. I think you I think you will be fine. Yeah. Um, now, as for whether I feel as if Benioff and Weiss can wrap this up in a satisfying way, I'm a little skeptical of them, if I'm being perfectly honest. And I think there's a chance that they can wrap it up on a superficially satisfying level and that if we dig deep beneath it, we'll probably start getting frustrated by it um but like five minutes after the finale i can imagine us saying oh yeah that was cool that was exactly how it should have ended and then about two weeks later we could be like eh, it was an okay finale and then about a month later we could be like god okay it's time to redo the finale for game of thrones if i had to guess i think that's probably the finale that we're going to end up with uh i i would love to be proven wrong and for it to be wonderfully nourishing satisfying and an in-depth critique of power and uh everything and we'll see but uh, if i had to guess i would guess superficially satisfying but not nourishing and what about you know i'm gonna have survivor after this and westworld will return someday but what are we as a television viewing nation going to do once game of thrones ends this is the only show that's on tv right uh, definitely, you would certainly think that given the past couple weeks of coverage by most of the people I respect most on the interwebs. Uh, yes, it, it would appear this is this is all there is. And I think that a lot of the other networks have kind of made that into a self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, you had things like Hulu saying, OK, yeah, we're not going to bother with a new season of Handmaid's Tale this month you know there's there's no right. there's no reason to attempt to compete with that you had hbo a lot having of people dodging Dragonfire. i think so and and a lot of the shows that are kind of good and worth talking about have simply gotten out of the way for one reason or another and and so it's become the only thing we can talk about the the honest answer is that i've seen a lot of my colleagues write variations on the is this the end of our communal tv experience blah 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 stories and my response is no it's not it's it's the end for one particular show and there will be another in the next two or three years that will do if not the identical thing something comparable and i i don't believe that we have ceased to have communal experiences maybe the communal tv experiences have become more condensed or niche or whatever you want to say they they've become smaller communal experiences but let's not fool ourselves into thinking that game of thrones is the mash finale it's it's not we we give ourselves the illusion that it's something this wide but it doesn't change the fact that it's still a show that is watched on a network that not everyone in america gets that not everyone in america can afford so there's already a barrier of entry that is a genuine and financial one. It is a a yeah. show with great 
limitations in terms of its audience reach, uh, in terms of racial inclusivity. It, it's a show that is a very specific show for a very specific audience. It's not a family show, so already that's an audience that you're taking out of it. I, I just don't, I don't view it as being this massive global, not global, because clearly it is global, this massive checking every single box sensation. I view it as a sensation that's checking a lot of boxes and that a lot of people love, but that there will be another sensation that will check maybe a different group of boxes. And that's something for HBO to be concerned about as they start branching out into prequels and whatnot is whatever boxes they're trying to check, if it's the same boxes, they're not going to reproduce it. And so in the same way that Fear of the Walking Dead has never at any point been the culturally relevant sensation that Walking Dead was at its peak. I suspect the spinoffs would be comparable. Something else will be comparable down the road, and you will do fantastic coverage writing 17 articles a day about it as it moves towards its premiere and its finale. I look forward to that day, but I, I also look forward to the next few weeks of getting to, to spend day in and day out with the King in the North, the Mother of Dragons, all of my favorite friends. And that includes you, Dan. That includes you out there who are listening to this podcast. We will wrap it up there. As always, thank you for listening to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's deep dive genre TV podcast. Subscribe to the show on your various podcast platforms. Email your questions and suggestions to Series Regular at TH com or tweet them to me at round howard uh, you can also tweet your theories and questions to dan he's at the fine print on twitter dan i'm assuming you want a ton of theories to be added in your direction sure why not the worst that can happen is that i shrug and ignore your theory <laughs> that seems like a fairly likely outcome <laughs> True story. Dan and I are also going to be batting Game of Thrones back and forth all season long. We have a weekly column called Before the Storm, which is running on Friday mornings. So keep an eye out for that. THR.com slash Game of Thrones is the way to find those columns and much more all season long. Until then, thank you so much, Dan. This was a blast. Thanks for having me, Josh. Josh.